Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 1972 film The Heartbreak Kid. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do listen and proceed without having seen the film, just be aware that we may spoil the plot for you. Enjoy. Now we are. <laughs> now we're recording. It was stuck on zero seconds to record. That's not good. <laughs> Imagine if that was your rocket launch. T minus zero. 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 And the rocket's just sat there not moving. Elon Musk be would awkward. be furious. I mean, he's he's always furious. Yeah. The, he'd be like, why is my rocket not going up and then exploding? Yeah. Why, you know, I'm firing all these people into the sun. What's going on? That's his plan, by the way. He wants to get all of us on rockets and he wants to fire us into the sun. That's what he wants. It's a secret. (laughs) Secret. (laughs) But it's a secret Bond villain plan. And speaking of Bond villains, Uh, um, James Bond, (laughs) (laughs) today, on day of recording, it's been revealed that MGM is being bought out by Amazon. So the James Bond franchise is now owned by a literal Bond villain in Jeff Bezos, Bozar, Bezos, however you want to pronounce it. Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. Yep. Um, awful human being. One of the richest men in the world. Um, I mean, he, he really looks like Lex Luthor, doesn't he? He does. He looks like an actual supervillain. You know, in that um, Superman, that shit piece Superman with Kevin Spacey, he looks just like that. <laughs> He really does, actually. Was it a um, shit piece? I say that because in my memory, it's like a Superman that's not very good, and I don't know much about Superman so anyway. But I've seen that one. Yeah, I don't know if it counts as a shit piece or if it's just shit. It's been a long time since I've watched it. Um, I'm not, as we've discussed before, I'm not actually a big fan of superhero movies. Um, I used to read comics when I was younger, and I enjoyed the first wave of superhero films. So stuff like. Uh, Blade and the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies, um, but I'm, they're all so dull. They're all so boring now, and all of them look exactly the same. Um, so I'm only interested in ones that feel a little bit different. Um, yeah. Which uh, the new Suicide Squad movie looks quite fun. That looks good. Oh, really? Yep. It's directed by James Gunn, a uh, friend oh, of the okay. podcast, James Gunn. Um, he has actually implied that a lot of the characters are going to die in it, which is the whole point of it. <laughs> Unlike cool, the first good. Suicide Squad movie where two people died, um, which kind of we like it when point. characters die. We do on this do. podcast. This is um, yeah, this is something we can always get behind. We do, um, and yeah, so it, it looks interesting. But going back to Amazon and our steady. Uh, steady decline into a world where there's only two corporations constantly at war, Disney and Amazon. Um, They now own the rights, I believe, to Robocop. Now, do we think that Amazon's going to do anything with that? 
Mm, it's probably low down on their list of priorities. I guarantee you someone there has like a master list of all the stuff they now own the rights to. And that's like 100th on that list. Yeah, they're probably. going through thinking, what can we monetize the best? And obviously James Bond is high on the list. Uh, next James Bond movie's villain is going to be uh, a union rep. Um, yeah. James, it's, it's two hours <laughs> of James Bond just mercilessly torturing a union rep. Um, but But yeah, Robocop, a series which is very much... Um, critical of the role of capitalism in society and critical of the role that capitalism plays in technological advancements i don't know how much a tech-centric uh hyper-capitalist uh organization like amazon is going to correctly use that intellectual property (laughs) it's probably got over their heads they're probably all sitting around in meetings going ha, it's the film where a guy shoots a guy in a dick (laughs) Yeah, it's got a robot cop. What more can you want? Um, he's a cop and he's a robot. He's enforcing the law. We enjoy enforcing the law. We like cops. We are cops. <laughs> we are cops. So yeah, it's good. We, force... we like robots. We like cops. <laughs> we... In many ways, it's the perfect film for us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They are cops of the workplace and they enjoy using as much robotics as possible to strip uh, human beings of their security. So yeah, RoboCop, <laughs> ideal. <laughs> They probably think that that's what it is. Yeah. Either that or it's an Irish film called Rob O'Cop. Rob O'Cop. <laughs> yeah, about an Irish police spin-off of Taffin. Yeah. About Rob O'Cop. <laughs> um, He's Taffin's little brother. Yes. Yeah, Straight to TV sequel that nobody asked for with none of the original cast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Speaking of uh, things that receive strange reboots later on that nobody asked for this week's movie is the heartbreak kid yeah when you google it um the 2007 remake with ben stiller comes up for some reason it obviously thinks oh i never watch anything from the 70s yeah exactly um have you seen the remake no i have not have you i have not either but what interests me is that you go on imdb and the original heartbreak kid from 1972 it has 4,000 ratings. Um, the remake has 87,000 ratings. That's a lot of ratings. So, What's the, well, what, what's the average number of ratings on IMDb? Because I wouldn't know, but that sounds like a lot of ratings to me. Yeah, that's a, that's a respectable number. Um, that's a respectable number of ratings. Um, I'm just trying to think of... What, what was the movie we watched before this? Um... You're asking me to remember last week, and that is a very difficult task. <laughs> it was a very long time ago, wasn't it? Um, God, what was it? This is really bad. <laughs> this is the thing, though. <laughs> Post-COVID world, I don't know what's happening anymore. I don't know what we're doing. Um, was it new? Was it old? It was... Um, was it We Came Together? Uh, they Came Together. They Came Together. That's the one. Again, a film that's quite that's a bit forgettable, isn't it? So Not bad, but forgettable. So they came together just as an example. Has it has a grand total of twenty one thousand ratings? Okay, and that's kind of an under the radar sort of sort of movie. Yeah. So I think eighty seven thousand. Okay, I'm going to use you as a ratings machine now. How many has Juice Bigelow male gigolo got? <laughs> How do you spell Juice? Is it Juice? D e u c e. As in yeah. Dropping a juice. 
That's what they call it in tennis, isn't it? Dropping a juice. Yeah. Um, So Juice Bigelow, male Gigolo, has 71,000. So again, that's quite a high number. Uh, European Gigolo, uh, when it loads, has 49,000. So the Juice Bigelow movies, not quite at the Heartbreak Kid level of ratings. So it's a respectable number. You're beating both Juice Bigelows. That's good. Um, yeah. Um, but had had you seen the original The Heartbreak Kid before? No, I'd never seen it. It was one of those ones that I always meant to get round to seeing and then I I kinda never did. So um I was I was glad to have um to have watched this film that's considered a classic and a, a big deal for Charles Grodin. It's one of those ones when they talk about his career and obviously the reason we we're we're talking about it is because Charles Grodin died, God rest his soul, but he was introduced to me through the film Beethoven, of course. So, not and, and Ditto for me as well. That was the first time I saw Charles Grodin on the screen. Um, in the doing his thing of being time. the king of exasperation. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, obviously, the other the other great movie. Well, you know, he had a very established career, very esteemed career, but also Midnight Run. Yes, another, um, which great. is my dad's favorite film. Um, and it's I don't know. I can't movie. remember if there's any romance in it. I don't think there is, but it would be cool for us to discuss. <laughs> the romance that between a man and another man. Yeah, him and De Niro. Um, but of course, that that also stars um, Yafet Koto, who I believe also died recently, didn't he? Yes, that's um, right. Which is yeah, very sad. Um, but yeah, so yeah, Midnight Run, but then obviously Beethoven as well. Um, and he's in the remake of King Kong from the seventies as well, which is which is rather good and has an amazing cast. So it's got uh, Charles Grodin, Jeff Bridges, and Jessica Lange as the three main uh, characters in it. I um, did not know that existed. Yeah, so it's um, yeah, an, an interesting and forgotten remake of King Kong. So obviously, everyone thinks of the original, and then everyone think thinks of the of version the... with Jack Black, of course. <laughs> I mean that's the most iconic version of the movie King Kong, um, the the Peter Jackson's King Kong. But actually, yes, there was a seventies remake as well. Um, what's Peter Jackson up to these days? Hasn't he just done that Beatles thing? Beatles thing, just yeah. Him. He's got like like when he like when he did it with all the sad war film footage. He's gone and taken a, some black and white footage from a long time ago and done it in color. And apparently it's amazing. Oh, I see. And it's about the Beatles, is it? I quite yeah. like that about him. I would be um, interested to see this. I don't I think it might be even be on Disney Plus or whatever. Ah, okay. Um, I quite like that about him. It's similar to um James Cameron, where he's made these massive movies and then he just decides at one point, you know what, fuck that. I'm gonna do something really dry and interesting to me and that's not a story about things getting blown up um because obviously james cameron went off and did all of those underwater documentaries which are fascinating oh you Um, mean avatar (laughs) avatar yes famous documentary avatar um and uh yeah i like that i like that um peter jackson's doing similar because obviously he did the um the the war footage and uh yeah i I think we should watch this beatles documentary yeah it's coming out in august but yeah, I'll be watching it for sure. Um, yeah, it's an upcoming documentary film directed by Peter Jackson. Covers the making of the 1970 album Let It Be. Ah, and the film draws material leave. originally captured for, <laughs> for director Michael Lindsay Hogg's 1970 documentary of the album. So yeah, they got all this footage. And I think he's got a bunch of footage that hasn't been seen before as well. So 
excellent. that's pretty cool and quite difficult to get hold of anything that hasn't been seen with the Beatles. So I mean, it, it's really hard because the, a lot of the footage really indicates the fact that Paul McCartney died and they replaced him. <laughs> yeah, definitely real. <laughs> this this is going to be the big reveal of that, isn't it? This is yeah. going to end with Paul just like taking off his face. <laughs> And revealing underneath a clone of Ringo Starr, raising yeah. even further questions, which are then never answered. Yeah, and then there's a montage of stuff that's a bit like all the goofy stuff they did in Help, where they all run around and they go skiing and they get high. <laughs> yeah, apart from, it's, yeah, double Ringo and they're just carrying around Paul's dead body. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then it yeah, turns like, into a sort of Peter Jackson's Weekend at Bernie's. I was just about to say, yes, yeah. Weekend, weekend at Ringo's. Weekend at Ringo's. <laughs> um, but, but none of this happens in The Heartbreak Kid. Um, I've got to say, I respect this movie. I wouldn't necessarily say that I enjoyed it. Yes, I think that's probably the correct assessment. I mean, I I think I did get some enjoyment out of it. But yeah, it's it's a film that is difficult to process i mean it's 50 years old isn't it it's 49 years old basically it's close to 50 years makes no difference so for us as film viewers it comes from quite a, a place that's not really what we're used to and there are there are things about it that are dated and things that are of its time but there are things about it that are very interesting and hold up well as well so yeah it's, it's an interesting one isn't it yeah it's this very strange blend of the kind of kind of interesting quirks where you can see a through road to um to modern movies but then also these things that almost feel very antiquated but what's interesting is that this was also written um by neil simon yeah a prolific iconic writer um Who based only on died a, short a couple story. of years ago yes yeah yeah um based on a short story by a writer called bruce j friedman um but obviously, we, we talked about a previous uh, Neil Simon's uh, film before when we talked about Barefoot in the Park. And I see The Heartbreak Kid is almost like the mirror image of Barefoot in the Park, where Barefoot in the Park feels very um, stilted and old-fashioned. And part of that is because it's this uh, adaptation of a, of a, of a play. Um, mm. And part of it is just because it, it has this language of cinema, which feels very much of its time in the 60s. Um, whereas the heartbreak kid, I think has the opposite problem where it looks much more modern and it's filmed in a much more, uh, sort of modern way that the, the, the audiences of these days, rather than back in the good old days, the, these modern audiences, you can look, don't look up from their iPhones to pay attention to the movie. Um, are too busy sending poop emojis to one another. All these Gen Zers. <laughs> yeah, um, all this Netflix. Netflix is making shows now that are designed for you to not pay attention to. Did you know this? <laughs> I it did, wasn't like that yes. back in them days. When you went back down to the days. cinema and you paid your you paid your halfpenny to go in and the film was shown on a curtain and yeah, you, you had to pay attention to the film because there was nothing else to do. And there if you nothing. didn't pay attention, they whipped you and kicked you out of the cinema. That's what used to yeah. happen back in the Charles day. Charles Grodin would come up um, to you. He would go around every single cinema in the world and he'd just like come up to you and check you were paying attention. And if you weren't, he'd be <laughs> exasperated at you. He'd be yelling <laughs> exactly. at you. Um, exactly. Um, what what was I saying? Oh, yes. Yeah, so, right. The Heartbreak Kid. The, 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 the language of cinema that it uses is much more uh, acceptable to modern audiences. But where I feel that this film doesn't doesn't work and feels more old-fashioned is the way that there's 
almost this barrier of empathy between the viewer and the story. Whereas mm. you felt this empathy and you felt this connection and this engagement um, in Bedford in the Park, I think the Heartbreak Kid has the 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 opposite problem where you don't feel that. Um, and I know that some of that is by design, but equally, I don't think it taps into having an emotional understanding of anybody enough to really become engaged and the the sort of plot elements and the stakes aren't necessarily high enough to keep you interested. And at no point does Charles Grodin run around with a bin on his head, even though at, at times <laughs> no. you're thinking he should get in the bin. He should get in the bin. And and I think that's what really drives this. And people talk about Charles Grodin's performance in this film as really stand out. And I'd agree with that is he's what drives this movie along. There's this strangeness to his character, this intensity um, that comes through in, it's not laugh out loud funny, but it's humorous in the way that it engages you. But it then maybe doesn't go far enough into giving you that understanding of his motivations. So you always feel that disconnect. At least that's how I felt anyway, watching it. Yeah, I, I felt the same. And yeah, that's the thing. I couldn't I couldn't work out. And even at the end, I couldn't work out if I was rooting for him or not. You know, and that's kind of the key thing, isn't it? A character, you know, characters don't have to be relatable. Characters can be a complete dick. But you, if you if the film gives you a reason to root for them, you're going to root for them. And I'm not sure if it did, but it's still his story, isn't it? So you are still compelled by it on some level. And a huge part of that is to do with his performance, which as you say, is exceptional. And he was a really exceptional actor and that does his performance completely drives it. You're, you're taken in by, by him, even though at times it's really, really painful to watch because of what he's doing and what he's saying. Um, Yeah. It's, it's, it's a difficult one to watch, isn't it? Did you find that? Yeah, and I'd say definitely not having any sort of rooting for him at all in this film. Um, f- from my perspective, at least, he's a he's a truly awful character. And from my perspective, I think that's clearly what they were trying to portray. Um, and that he's got these motivations and these impulses, which are completely... Um, alien and have no regard for those people around him but equally a lot of other people feel alien in this film it feels very like i don't know thematically it's impactful but from a character perspective it feels quite shallow everyone's an alien it's like the film alien (laughs) it's the film it's more alien than alien where there's only one alien yeah there's several aliens yeah <laughs> whoa several aliens <laughs> um but yeah do you, do you know what i mean you know that there's there's a lot of heady themes here about um relationships and sexuality and impulse family um obsession motivation ambition as well is a huge part of this film and and a lot of it is also tied up in um in Jewish societal dynamics as well. And all of that is very interesting. But for me, at least, it fails at making you necessarily care beyond making you think. So you think, but you don't care. Yeah, and I wonder if part of this is to do with the short story that it's based on, the source material. Um, 
because obviously expanding a short story into a film that you're going to be able to take a lot of liberties and you're going to have to pad out some stuff but maybe you know the way the film focuses on it happens over you know sort of a, a period of a few days which is the marriage and the honeymoon all very fast and then there's the the last third which is his sort of um following following this woman to minnesota and um haranguing her until she marries him <laughs> the way that it kind of um <laughs> focuses on the small moments doesn't it and it spends a long time on sort of intimate moments and conversations and the things that are the kind of the everyday of relationships which in a way is very very interesting and is something that is not done in romantic comedies of today often well enough and often to their detriment so that side of it is really really good but it also means that we don't get anything of his backstory we you know we know that he's like it's revealed at some point that he sells sporting goods but we're like who is this guy? <laughs> you know, and it's like maybe just a little bit more of that would have made us have that, as you say, would have plugged that empathy gap. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, I don't know from my perspective, he's he's this very inscrutable character. You get these flashes of who he is, um, but a lot of what he's doing is, um, is kind of selling himself to various people, and and showcasing this facade of who he is and you see it even from the beginning this hesitation in his eyes about everything that he's doing and and you can tell from the beginning it's like this is not going to go well for the people involved in this film um but where i think this film really needed a challenge was with the motivations and the characters of those people around him. And and you see this happen quite well in various other films where you can't necessarily relate to another character. Um, off the top of my head, you know, the obvious example is things like uh, Taxi Driver or Joker or things like that, where you've got this almost... Um, powerful force of a character that's not necessarily a character in their own right but is this agent of change through the film and that's what charles grodin is in this movie he is this agent of change but then around him you need to have these characters which you can relate to or that reflect back off him in ways that the audience can relate to and i don't necessarily think that this film does that you mean you can't relate to a man from Minneapolis who's an angry, rich, perpetually displeased dad who looks a bit like Mark Kermode? <laughs> yeah, Minnesota Kermode. Yeah, um, that's his name. But then you've got um, uh, Lila, his, his wife, um, who is played by Jeannie Berlin, who's brilliant, you know, a really great actor. Um, yeah. but I But I feel as though her character is... Um, kind of wet milk to to use a phrase that we've used regularly on this podcast kind yeah. of this insipid character she's not given static. much development is she? no no not given very much development at all you get these elements of humor um but it kind of she's kind of just left there and then dropped from the plot as intensively as she's dropped by charles grodin's character and just completely ignored for the rest of the film and then equally you've got um you've got kelly played by sybil shepherd who is the the person who he instantly falls in love with and decides to run off and and be with forever who just seems kind of indifferent to him and just sort of goes along with it and i wonder if that's also the kind of weirdly sexist attitude of the time where it's all like women just kind of do what men tell them (laughs) 
well, yeah, I I think, you know, I don't want to necessarily say that about, about this film because we don't know um, what the motivations were in terms of the direction or the writing fully. Um, and, and I think there's some other interesting elements at play here, but it certainly does feel a little bit like that where she... She never feels truly engaged to this man that she eventually marries. Yeah. Um it 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 never really strikes me. And and I think that's the main problem is for a film like this, you're supposed to believe that that Charles Grodin's Lenny falls in love with these people, but then grows tired of them very quickly and falls in love with someone else. But you never get that sense that he, he ever falls in love with them. And you don't get this sense that they ever fall in love with him. And I think maybe that lack of lack of emotion and lack of passion is maybe where this doesn't work. Yeah, and that again may be sort of a commentary on the time in a way. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a line at the very beginning where he he's sort of he's in bed with Lila and he's saying like that they should have sex and she's saying we should wait till they're married and he says nobody waits anymore, but they still don't go through with it and it's like maybe part of this film it comes across as a bit cynical doesn't it but it's saying that like actually yeah a lot of people are just going through with all this stuff and not really stopping to reflect and to realize how they feel or whether this stuff is real even though Charles Grodin spends half of the film talking about how how real his feelings for um Sybil Shepherd are how much he wants to marry her and how how like he's so driven by it but you just don't quite believe it do you and maybe that's meant to be some kind of commentary on romance yeah, and I- and and I think there is that element there, and as mentioned, there's a there's a big focus on Jewish identity in this film as well, where you know it's it's these 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 Jewish characters, and one of them decides instead that they have fallen in love with this, um, you know, blonde, uh, very Christian woman, um, and I, I you know it's it's not an accident that the movie starts with a Jewish wedding and ends with a Christian wedding. And the 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 question of how much of his identity has he given up, how much of this facade has he had to put on to be able to end up in this situation, um, and I, I, and that's all very interesting as well. Um, one thing I would say is a lot of this movie would have been solved if he had slept with these people before he'd married them, yeah. and had spent time with them before <laughs> he married them. Um, it's yeah, and a lot of it it is it is around that rush, isn't it? Is around that that rush into something that is not necessarily right um yeah but it's it's yeah but but it does lack that i think it lacks that emotional connection which is certainly there in in barefoot in the park to go back to to that that comparison yeah and again, it, it, again, it's 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 based on a short story that was written for Esquire magazine, and maybe at the time, you know, the the writing style was very sort of detached, wasn't it? I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I haven't read the story, but that would be my assumption: is that it's quite a it's quite a detached style, and the film I think comes across as detached, and he comes across as a bit detached, even when he's saying, you know, I I love your daughter and I want to be with her, sir. He still seems like a yeah, a sort of detached salesman, doesn't he? Yeah, that and that's completely right. And I think I think that's a big, and and that is a big part of why this movie works is his detach his detachment is compelling and interesting, but for me at least the issue is how to get something compelling out of that aside from just watching Charles Grodin do his excellent stuff. Yeah, which 
is good, but not necessarily an hour and 45 five minutes worth of film good enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, this movie is seen as one of the all-time greats. Um, it's, you know, almost universally beloved. Um, and, and I think you can see some real interesting stuff here in terms of telling a challenging romantic story in a way that few movies were doing at the time i mean if you're thinking of that area you've also got the graduate um is like an obvious other comparison yeah. piece um but but at least it is this movie that's challenging conceptions of love it's telling a kind of dangerous story about how you know it it, it almost feels and you almost feel as though this is a cycle that he's going to go through perpetually throughout his life and maybe it's already happened before this point yeah um you know, you know six years later we get to animal house so you know <laughs> it's not all bad exactly just exactly. thinking about the timeline of films in the 70s because <laughs> <laughs> that's the most important thing isn't it yeah um, a film which i genuinely think is ahead of its time <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is you know it's it's got that kind of um I mean, I mean, we watched uh, Greece as well, and it's kind of a great oh, God, comparison yeah. film to Greece as this also, also this satire of um, of the fifties, um, and so so yeah, I, I think it is ahead of its time in that way that it's got this kind of parody element to it, which um, which eventually went on to create truly horrible movies and terrible films, but at least then it feels quite refreshing and interesting. Um, but it is an era of cinema where people did start taking more risks, you know, when you're thinking about the late 60s into the 70s, um, you've got a lot of people doing very challenging things. And I think this film is a challenging movie, and I certainly respect it for that. And I'm glad it exists, and you can kind of almost understand why this movie is as impactful as it has been, because it is, it does things that, even nowadays you don't get many romantic movies where the lead character is deliberately as unsympathetic as this no um like what was that terrible christmas movie that we watched with with you're gonna have to be more specific with that (laughs) with with ryan reynolds oh just friends just that that is our lowest scoring film ever isn't it I, i think it is yeah um where that is a unnecessarily cruel and horrible film, but you're still meant to root for the romance and you're meant to root for him. Whereas here, I don't think you're meant to root for him at all. Um, but you're more sort of this this hostage to this situation um, where, you know, it, who, are, who are the likable characters in this movie? Um, I'd say Leela um yeah i guess he spends uh, most of the film being sunburnt (laughs) and annoyed about it at least you have sympathy for her being dragged out to miami getting sunburnt and then getting dumped on her honeymoon by her husband yeah um or the big-faced football player who is um (laughs) (laughs) what's the girl's name kelly who's her boyfriend the big man on campus and then Grodin pulls the I'm a narc joke on him, which is hilarious. And then for for some reason, he's like one of the ushers at their wedding. That was actually very funny. Yeah. Um, And uh, what I do like as well is that this is a movie where everyone's supposed to be playing people in their late teens to early 20s and everyone looks like they're about 35. Charles Grodin was Um, 37. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. But I read yeah. it as him. He's a bit older than her, generally. Um, yeah, because yeah. like she's a college student, and he's clearly like some old guy who's hanging around campus. But at the same time, it's established that um, Leela is twenty-two, so that yeah. I wouldn't have thought there'd be a huge age gap. But you'd expect him to be in his mid-twenties, I guess. Yeah. Um, he's been in the army for three years. Oh yeah. Um, because he's the, making excuses about his old army buddy, which just comes across as like being like that monkey dust sketch where the guy like describes the plot of the Lord of the Rings. It's like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Where have you been, Clive? Yeah. Um, Clive, those yeah. are the lyrics to Hotel California. Where, <laughs> Where have you, you really been? been? <laughs> oh, one of my favourite sketches in that show, actually. That, yeah, um, uh, yeah. There's, for, for anyone who hasn't watched it, it's a compulsive liar who comes up with some elaborate story, which ends up being something like the plot to Hotel California or Lord of the Rings or Dune or something like that, and then it always ends with some shocking explanation of where he's actually been. Um and uh, yeah, very very funny show, Monkey Dust. I, I need to rewatch that sometime. Yeah, it's probably all on YouTube or something. Yeah, BBC's pretty stingy about things like that, though. Wasn't it Channel Four? No, it was BBC. Oh, blimey! Um, and obviously BBC now doesn't make anything challenging whatsoever, so they're determined to. I still don't think you can even get series two and three of Monkey Dust anywhere. I say you wouldn't get that for the BBC could... now, would you? I'm glad I don't pay my license fee. They don't come after you. <laughs> I pay my license fee, not for necessarily for the BBC, although I'm glad that they make um, David Attenborough documentaries. That's pretty much the only thing I watch on BBC now. Yeah. <laughs> is, is you just want to watch the stuff about how the planet's fucked. Yeah, I want to watch, hey, a cute animal. Oh, it's dead, and it's my fault. That's worth <laughs> That's 11 quid a month. Once a year. Um but god damn the bbc is terrible and did you did you like god bless it it's trying but but clearly from a political perspective it is really struggling and today as well alongside the the most important news which was james bond um we had a couple of other things one of which was um was the dominic cummings big old reveals where it turns out that lo and behold the worst kept secret whenever um, Laura Coinsberg from the BBC said, a senior official has told me it was Dominic <laughs> Cummings. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Literally everyone. Um, but it just shows the kind of, I don't know, the lack of critical thinking within the political environment of the BBC, yeah. where they would just, in, in an effort to remain impartial, they would just parrot out whatever they've been told say there needs to be two sides to every story which involves inviting virulent transphobes on alongside trans people or not even bothering to invite trans people onto shows and just um giving megaphones to transphobes that kind of stuff yeah um which is just that's not how you do critical um political commentary it's not critical in any way is it and what what the way that you need to look at it is that everyone who's on the left thinks the BBC is right wing. Everyone who's on the right thinks the BBC is left wing. So it's clearly doing nothing right. 
because <laughs> yeah, the old adage is, oh, if everyone's angry at you, you must be doing something right. It's like, yeah. no, the BBC is doing nothing right. <laughs> well, the BBC is just parroting in a very weak way whatever gets thrown at them. And primarily that's whatever the government spokesperson's saying at the moment. <laughs> so it's like, no, do some actual journalism. You know, I, I think the journalism that I do writing about bloody video games is probably more stringent than a lot of what goes on at the BBC at the minute. You've covered some important, like, critical stuff. I have, yeah. And whenever I do, I do my research <laughs> and I fact check everything I do. Um, if if a um, if someone, a big publishing uh, company, a, a big publisher for, for video games came to me with a, with a quote, I wouldn't probably go... A senior source has told me this. I'd probably go, you know what? Might want to look into this to see if they're chatting bullshit because this ties in exactly to what they want people to know. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe you should do that, BBC journalist. Castlevania named greatest game series ever, says senior official at Konami. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You can just imagine, yeah. Um, oh, uh, this, this person from Electronic Arts says that microtransactions in FIFA games are not damaging to young people. <laughs> studies show. That. Studies show. Studies we have done. <laughs> studies from EA Sports suggest that EA Sports games are not harmful to children. <laughs> imagine that um yeah so so yeah I'm, I'm not being facetious when i say that and i think that's a big problem um sorry for this massive tangent um do, do fund the ppc yeah no, that's not that's not what we're saying what no we're, we're saying not is... even though we're saying that it has a lot of problems i think yeah the pete that generally yeah maybe we do need to look into alternative funding models but i can guarantee you that anyone who who actively cares about defunding the bbc or proudly talks about how they don't pay their license fee is a tedious bell end. There's there's a few people where they it is obvious bell endry. Um and, and one of them, you're right, is if anyone says, I don't pay my license fee, we should defund the BBC. Oh my they're not critical thinkers. They don't do anything right. It's like you just know that they read the Daily Mail. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah. You just know they are just sucking in anything right wing regardless of thinking about it and just parroting that back out again um so yeah that's that's one of the that's one of the big signs of bell injury the other one is people who are um critical of people who have come forward with a mental health condition in the press yeah and i've seen that happen twice this week where where prince harry's talked about his mental health and all of the dickheads online have gone how can he have problems of his mental health he's a rich guy and it's like no that's not how it works and then uh mp nadia whittam has come forward as well and very candidly and bravely talked about having ptsd and yeah. the comments were full of and lo and behold whisper it all these right-wing dickheads every single one of them was a right-wing dickhead um all of them going how can she have pds ptsd she hasn't fought in a war or going huh i'm glad she got it because she's a labor mp who i don't like and you just think obvious dickhead anyone who criticizes or challenges someone over their mental health particularly when they're disclosing a mental health condition that's like one of the surefire ways of knowing someone's an asshole yep a hundred percent you look back through all their tweets it's like yeah defund the bbc vaccine skepticism 
you know, they're they're you know ten YouTube videos away from joining the Flat Earth Society. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Flat Earthers are less dangerous than these people. Yeah, um, but but it's a similar. It seems relatively benign in comparison, doesn't it? Oh well, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the the the, the um, Venn diagram of of people who do those things is a circle. You never find you never find people who think both of those things but think them separately. It's always the same people, and they're also the people which say national trust going woke. Oh yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't teach people about British history in the national trust. Yeah, I will not be other. renewing my membership this year. Guess what? You didn't have a membership in the first place, you liar. Because I have a National Trust membership and I know lots of people who have National Trust memberships and all of them don't think the National Trust is going woke and are glad to see history being taught via the National Trust. Because guess what? That's what it's about. You awful human beings. You should be banned from going to any National Trust properties ever. But the thing is that all of these people think probably think that films were better back in the 70s. So they probably enjoy the Heartbreak Kid. What do you think? Thank you for getting us back on track <laughs> after various rants. Sometimes it has um, to be done. It has to be done. Yeah, there's been lots of bad bullshit that's been happening this week and at least the heartbreak kid has given me a little distraction that's what we aim to do with this show right we want it was supposed to be distracting people from the bullshit but it's gonna sneak in isn't it (laughs) exactly exactly so basically you know how in the heartbreak kid there's a scene when he goes like he goes out to dinner at the other fancy hotel where they like the um kelly and her family have moved to get away from him (laughs) Like, yes, and he sort of yeah. follows her there, her there, and shows up, and then they go to dinner, and then there is some kind of light entertainment that's going on there, and it's just a bloke in a tuxedo on stage going da 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 da, and he's I didn't know what the hell that was supposed to be. Is that what used to pass for entertainment in the sixties and seventies? There just be a guy on stage just going da 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 da. I think maybe he was doing something with his hands, but I couldn't quite tell so basically that's we want to be the podcast equivalent of that <laughs> that's a, someone just doing silly things with their hands he's singing that song that i i never know what it is but it's the one that goes um it's that one sounds and, like a theme uh, tune to a show like um parkinson or something yeah <laughs> um but yeah I, I guess that's what that's what entertainment was back in the day I was just a bad musician or comedian and everyone laughing and cheering and going, oh, isn't he good? Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. See, it's making you laugh. It is. It is. Um, That's so... a really good scene, isn't it? Because he's he's sitting really, really close. Like they haven't got enough chairs and they've pulled up a chair for him. That is brilliantly well done. That might be one of the best scenes in the film. And he's sitting, there's some really, really good shots in this film, actually. Great camera angles with cinematography where it's like Charles Grodin's face next to the dad's face. And like he's just like trying to look really, really happy. And the dad's just got his like wall of stone up on his face. It is brilliant. Yeah, there, there, there are some very, very... There's not many scenes in this movie that will make you laugh, but that one is one where he's just there trying to look happy sort of really scrunched in with all these other people and that one does that does work incredibly well yeah that made that made me chuckle anyway 
and the the speech when he's saying there's no deceit in the cauliflower that made me really yes, laugh as no, well that's very good whereas we all know that cauliflower is the most deceptive of vegetables it actually is isn't it because this is one of those things that vegans are always like oh you can replace anything with cauliflower you can do a pizza base whatever you know and i eat cauliflower because it's high it's high in protein i quite like it but you know you can replace your regular rice with cauliflower rice to go low carb that is deceitful isn't it i hate cauliflower do you yeah it's possibly my least favorite vegetable what about a cauliflower cheese no i hate cauliflower really yeah oh Um, I I really cauliflower is one of my least favorite things I really really hate it I've hated it since I was a kid and I've tried it but like multiple times since I was a kid and I just cannot get on with it there's this cauliflower wings they're like chicken wings but with cauliflower (laughs) with cauliflower Um, I actually quite like them but there's it's no there's something awful about cauliflower that I just can can never get on board with oh that's a shame Um, there's a whole world of cauliflower bullshit out there waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But yeah, no, it's never. I, I don't think it's ever going to happen for me now. I think I'm going to be okay. It's too late. It's like me with olives. Yeah, that's another thing where I try olives every so often because I think it's something that adults are supposed to like. And no. Nobody likes olives. People pretend to like them because <laughs> they think it's sophisticated. Nobody actually likes eating fucking sharp, horrible olive. <laughs> I don't mind a bit of uh, bread with olive oil and vinegar. Oh, olive oil's all good. Yeah, olives should always be made into oil. They should never be eaten before their oil. <laughs> That's my manifesto. Exactly, exactly. Um, so this movie is set between Miami and Minnesota. Where would you choose to live between Miami and Minnesota? I mean, can I choose somewhere in between those two towns or is it like out of those two? It's got to be Miami or Minnesota. Well, Minneapolis was obviously where Prince lived. So there's got to be something cool about it. But at the same time, Miami's much warmer and there's a lot more baseball in Florida. So I'd probably go with Miami. You'd go for the baseball. Yeah. Minnesota's got the twins, the the team, the Minnesota twins. That's what the team's called. But they're just sort of... Oh, I do not know the Twins. Yeah, well, Twin Cities, because Minneapolis and St. Paul are called the Twin Cities because they're on opposite sides of the river, whatever. Um, Yes, but yeah, I'd never heard of the the team, the Twins. Although, actually, the Tampa Bay Rays are my most hated team at the moment because they keep beating the Blue Jays. (laughs) And, like, yeah, they and they're made up of loads of, like, weird cast-off players, and they all look like just blokes you'd see down the pub, and you've never heard of any of them because they, they're they one of those small market teams. They don't have much money, and they never spend any money on players, so they're famous for, like, finding cast-off players and somehow making them good. And, like, yeah, you come up against this lineup. There's nine guys you've just never heard of, and they beat you every time. It's uh, so really frustrating. Are they doing a bit of money ball stuff then? Yeah, yeah. Uh, indeed, and they're also they they're keeping like live rays in a tank in their stadium, so it's pretty oh, cruel. Nice, yeah. We've got to free the rays, free the rays. Yeah. Um, so maybe obviously... I would choose Minneapolis. Actually, I, I yeah, I retract my statement. I'm choosing Minneapolis. <laughs> cold there. I like the cold. I like the snow. Bring it on. I was going to say you're a fan of the cold weather. I am. Yeah. Um... When yeah, when he's like it's in the snowy campus and he's in his like old man hat, I actually quite like that change of scene in the film. It makes a big difference. And yeah, that 
it does act quite well as a completely different backdrop to this kind of new section of the film where you're like, okay, we've been through all of the dramatic irony bits where it's like, you know that he's going to um, end his marriage and eventually he does with the most awkward kind of dinner speech scene. Um, uh, Like I had to watch through my hands because it was so awkward and so painful. And now it's this kind of, is it actually going to happen for him? And then it does with this new girl. And then at the end, he's just on his own talking to the kids and saying we need to give back to the land and they're like yeah whatever grandpa (laughs) yes and i I think that's an interesting ending isn't it it's a very abrupt um low-key quite depressing ending as well isn't it that it's like really depressing is he realizing that um he's sort of reached this low point you know he he's he's not going to the, the the dream is over the the chase is over he's achieved his new um his new wife he's he's reached this wedding but now he's got to live with this facade that he's created for himself yeah it's it's a very very strange ending and yeah as you say very abrupt it cuts literally cuts from <laughs> the deceit is in the cauliflower to him like the dad t- trying to give him $25,000 to go away and then the next scene it cuts to is the wedding <laughs> it's like wow okay here we are yeah, it's it's very abrupt. It's it's very interesting the way that they frame that as well. Um, that it's just kind of over. Um and yeah, it's it's interesting. It's a it's a really interesting way to do it, because this film is very disjointed in that way. You know, you've got the first two thirds of the movie, which are sort of the Miami, you've got the vague sort of um farcical feel of him um lying to his wife to go and be with this other woman and and the lies keep getting more ridiculous as it goes on um and then suddenly he's over in minnesota freezing cold being a creep on a college campus and then he's and then he's married yeah it's uh yeah and i think what's weird about it is that it it makes it seem like the romance element of it doesn't matter does it it's like we don't need to show you any of the romance between him and Kelly at this point. It's like all we need to show you is the the, the bribe from the dad. It's like it's all between the two men. There's that that scene with them in the cabin where it's like they they get naked but they don't have sex, and it's like to show that he is kind of honourable and you know isn't just this kind of animal. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's but it, but you're right. It's. It is it is a loveless and romanceless romantic comedy, isn't it? Yeah, it spends no time on the romance. Is the thing about it? All of that stuff just happens, and then what you're left with is is almost like the uh, the aftermath and the peripheral stuff around the romance, which is interesting in a way, and it's interesting for a film to explore that. But yeah, the way it the way it does it is very is very focused on him and his story and his exasperation and his grodinness. <laughs> Yeah, and it's you, there is like a you can see a clear through road from his performance in this through to the most iconic movie um, that is Beethoven. Yeah, um, the greatest film of all time. <laughs> the greatest film of all time. Um, I can hear the theme music in my head right now. Yeah, very good music ironically better music than anything beethoven ever created <laughs> yeah definitely man i i, I do love what did he beethoven. ever do only only composed symphonies when he was literally deaf whatever <laughs> anyone could do that yeah i could do that 
um yeah man i love beethoven um anyway, the film right, or the composer uh, the film, obviously. I don't care for any classical music. You know this. Yeah, you hate all classical music. <laughs> classical music. That's out. true. Load of rubbish. Give me, give me music. Not even any words about dogs. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> anyway, right. Um. Uh, have you got anything else you want to say about uh, about Heartbreak Kid? Um. Just, it's funny when she she's the first time he kind of deceives her and just goes down to the bar to hang out with Kelly. He's like, she goes, "Did you meet someone at the bar?" He's like, "Who would I meet at the bar? It's just a bunch of jerks here." <laughs> and they're like, "You came here on your honeymoon, dude." I know he's so dismissive of the place that he picked for his honeymoon. Yeah. And just that they use the same music in both weddings, so it's um, yeah, close oh, yes. to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Oh, well hey there. You have gone offline. You have gone offline. You have gone offline. Are you there? I am here. Your your thing was doing something very odd. Oh, was it like flashing that I was <laughs> offline and then coming back? Yes. Yeah, yours was doing the same thing. Ah, intriguing. Oh, what the fuck? Intriguing. Oh, well, uh, the recording was still rolling, so we'll, yes. we'll work it out. Yeah, we'll work it out. Why do birds suddenly appear every over time? There, over here. <laughs> Just um. like me, they long to be Charles Grodin. That doesn't rhyme, but you can have it. I I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, um, yeah, they I, use the same music at both weddings, which is a nice kind of bookend. It is, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a cleverly made film. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dispute that it's cleverly made. It's intelligent. It's interesting, but I don't know how much I enjoyed it. It's just, yeah. Um, but yeah, so so how are we how are we gonna gonna rate this bad boy? Um, let's see. Um, how many states do you have to drive through when you're following a woman that you've left your wife for and who is indifferent to you to get <laughs> so, to where she lives? So to travel to this indifferent woman, I'm gonna go through twelve states. Um. Like I said, it's it's an interesting film, and I think uh, I appreciate having watched it um, to to understand this very iconic piece of of romantic cinema, but not necessarily something that I'd be likely to watch again. Yeah, I I'd completely agree. It's um yeah, it's it's an interesting film. It's definitely well worth a watch. You know, it's better than a lot of the rubbish that we watch on this show, <laughs> but um. You know, it being from the seventies, there are bits of it that are dated, things that are of its time. Um, but if if you if you have any interest in Charles Grodin's career at all, it's it's a good watch. Um, it's just yeah, a, a, a strange one in many ways. Yes, yeah, it is. It is a bit of an odd one. Um, and bits of it are quite painful to watch as well because he is an insane man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, um, for sure, for yeah. sure. But it's good, and I'm glad we did it. You know, it's good to talk about a film from the 70s every now and then to remind us, you know, um, how different things used to be. And, then, you know, at that time, there was no Juice Bigelow. <laughs> exactly, you know. Uh, all these poor people that had to live in a life where there was no Juice Bigelow. There was no Euro Trip. 
<laughs> greatest movie of all time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> anyway, what are we watching next? <laughs> well, I'm in two minds about this. I, I haven't been... I found it tricky to work out what to do. I'm I'm kind of tempted to just say, shall we watch the remake of The Heartbreak oh, Kid, gosh. which apparently is bad. But I was looking I'm, at the plot. It's completely different. So maybe it'll come over as a it? completely different film. Yeah, it's it's all, yeah, there's loads of extraneous nonsense that's been tacked onto it. It doesn't surprise me. And apparently it's quite awful. So, and it feels the need to explain why they got married in such a short amount of time. Is it because he's being chased by the mob? I'd watch that if he was being chased. Unfortunately, by the mob. not. No, it's it's like a, a visa marriage. Oh, that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, are, are you happy with that, or would you like me to go with something random? Did you have another another uh, option? Well, I don't know. I was thinking maybe we could bust out an adam sandler movie i've been um, wanting to drop one on you for a while but you know yeah again it was one of your options last week or one of the potential options we didn't do i guess there was yeah, a sandler in there that's the thing because 50 first dates was mentioned last week wasn't it it was a movie yeah where i kind of tolerate talking about that film <laughs> so so i'll leave it up to you. Do you would you rather would you rather 50 first dates or would you rather heartbreak kid 2007 I'd rather Fifty First Dates. Heartbreak okay. Kid 2007 looks bad. It looks like something we should get around to talking about at some point because it is our our brown bread and butter. But yeah, <laughs> I think it's Sandler time. I'm happy okay. about. I'm happy okay. about that. Let's go with Fifty First Dates then. All right, that's a good choice. I kind of regret it already because <laughs> now it's it's like a gateway drug because now every week's going to be Sandler week. Yeah, it's going to be what what month is it? May. Oh, it's nearly June. Sandloon. <laughs> Sandloon. <laughs> Sandlulai. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really work on any of the months apart from January or February. Sandluary. It, it doesn't even work then. Santember. We we just gotta we just gotta roll with it and go and go with Adam Sandler month. Yep. Okay, Adam Sandler month starts now in that case. <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess it is. It is June, isn't it? By the time it will be June by the time we do it. Okay. June will be Adam Sandler. June is Sandler month. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually going to have to plan it out. I'm going to take it very seriously. Okay. Yeah, we'll work it out because there are actually a lot of good options. (laughs) There, there. Well, there are options. Yeah. Uh, Have we watched any Adam Sandler movies? I don't think we have. You know. I don't think we've done a single one. Well, then, this is going to be a very... You've only got four films to choose, or possibly five, depending on on when the dates. Uh, yeah. Fall. I'm going to work it out. But I'm, I'm excited now. It's like Christmas. Christmas in June. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, um, you can find us on Twitter at BigBoysDon'tPod. You can email us, BigBoysDon'tCryPodcast at gmail.com. There's a link in our show notes to where you can give us money. It's kind of like a tip jar if you like what we do. Throw some coins in the bucket to the guys. We're standing on stage going, da 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 think Imagine it's like that and we've got a bucket. You know, chuck, chuck a coin in. Equally, I have just rushed into a wedding that I immediately want to get out of, so I need all the money. <laughs> 
all that. <laughs> this sounds like a romantic comedy waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from the 70s. From the 70s. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. Give us give us some money, please. Yeah. Rob needs your cash. I need your cash for a, for a divorce. <laughs> I need $25,000 to bribe him not to marry my daughter. <laughs> Which you don't have. Yeah. All right, we'll be back next week to talk about 50 First Dates and to kick off Sand Loon. <laughs> sand Loon. I'm going to keep God saying sake. that. <laughs> Sounds like a Pokemon. Go Sand, sand Loon. Yeah. Use, use terrible joke. It's super effective. Yeah. Either that or like, you know how in, in Canada they call, a loon is a type of duck. It's, it's like one of those, but it lives in the sand. A Sand Loon. A Sand Loon. You know, that that's why they call a, a $1 coin a loony. Or 50 I didn't even realise that's what they called it. Yeah. A loony. I think it's like a dollar coin. I can't remember the currency. There's a loony. And then a toonie is like two of those. This is all made up. I don't believe Canada Canada's made exists. up. <laughs> Canada does not exist. <laughs> so yeah, Sand Loon. Your favourite Pokemon. Your favourite month. Canada. <laughs> Alrighty. Alright, it's, ex- it's going to be an exciting time. We'll be back next week to talk about 51st Dates to kick it off. Alrighty. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye.